0: somewhere in the middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that we bring. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Even though we were not able to get together with the entire family, we had a great time and ate way too much. So it felt pretty normal in that regard. I hope you guys were able to do the same. Now, you know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, culture, including Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here, only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us now our last show was a replay of an interview i had with the wonderful dr kendra burke you can learn more about dr kendra at her website and you can connect with her on social media if you miss that show make sure you listen to the replay you can find our complete show archives including the november 20th show at the somewhere in the I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a super important message and I really hope that you will share it with the young people. But it's not just for the youth. We all need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common Movement at www.geniusescommon.com. I am really happy to share an interview I had with the incomparable Diane Sears, who is a great friend to the show. Diane Sears is the United States Coordinator for International Men's Day, a position she's held since 2009 and the inaugurator of the International Day of Prayer for Men and Boys, which is observed in November and launches the United States Observance of International Men's Day. In October 1999, Sears launched In Search of Fatherhood, a quarterly international fatherhood and men's issues journal, which moderates a global dialogue on fatherhood. The concept for In Search of Fatherhood was created by Sears' mentor, the late L.T. Henry, a classically trained jazz musician who briefly performed with the Philadelphia Orchestra and was a former drummer for internationally acclaimed songstress and film and television actress, Della Reese. L.T. Henry was also an author, a photojournalist, and a sales and success motivation trainer. Mr. Henry envisioned a world in which men from all walks of life could work together, support one another, and share solutions to address unique issues directly and indirectly related to parenting from a male perspective. Ms. Sears has spent the last 20 plus years of her life resurrecting Mr. Henry's vision and perpetuating his legacy. Good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. The most important question is how are you? I'm really, I'm really good. You know, I reload back from um, California. I came back to Georgia.
2: Ah, I've got family out in California, and they seem to be um, um, taking stuff, things in stride. You know, I email them. You know, you know, how's everybody? That's that sort of thing, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they seem to be fine. Um, they are family that I uh just discovered that I had about a year and a half ago. Oh
1: wow, through, uh, that's
2: awesome. True uh, d- uh ancestry uh <laughs> That's
1: beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, I think that's I'm, awesome. I'm,
2: yeah, my mother doesn't think so. She's given me a direct order and said, "Please stop digging up relatives, no more cousins."
1: That is funny. What? You know, I could never get anybody in the family really on board with my family tree project when I was working on that a few years back. I didn't either. It's um, weird, isn't it? Like people have no dumb. curiosity. <laughs> well, I used to
2: hear I used to hear stories when I was growing up. Um mm-hmm. that I remember. And then um at some point I became curious. And in in the late 90s, I decided to do some research. Um, And um, I found out some very interesting things. I'm wondering why, gee, why did not anybody want to talk about this? And when I started bringing things up, then the elders in this family were saying, oh yeah, we heard about that. So that really happened. And then they started sharing information. I think they were reluctant Uh, because they didn't, uh, didn't know what I might do with the information or how I might handle it. It's a thing, you know, it's a thing of trust.
1: Well, I think there's also the other, well, I've been, I don't know if you've been staying abreast of the ADOS movement, um, the American Descendants of Slavery movement, and I think I've really, I've, I've really come to believe that There's uh, also a part of us that does not want to own or acknowledge that history for our own selves because it's been, you know, it's being enslaved in this country has been like a stigma. Like, we we haven't accepted it as actually kind of a badge of honor. Think about how strong your people have to be to survive all of that and you be here you know,
2: as a well, result. I'll, I will tell you something, until we come to grips with that, we will never be healed. Exactly, and, and that's really- We will continue, we will continue uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, to act uh, To act the way we do, make the decisions that we do. We have to come to grips with that. You have to deal with that. It's part of the healing. And yeah. it's an insult to the ancestors. Uh, not to deal with that. You, that you know, does defi- not define us. It doesn't define me. It's something that right. happened to them.
1: Right. And we but have I, I think you're right. That. I think you're so right about that with the healing because that's really one of the things that I've been um, grappling with, right? I've been really well, grappling with that because I'm 52 all, years old and I just found a language. Talk about this in. Hmm. I, re- you know, I've gone through. You know, I've studied African traditional religions. I've gone back and looked for understanding on a spiritual level and different things. And I didn't realize that what I was really looking for on a certain level was a language, a way of thinking about this. This experience being unique. You know what I mean? And how to I, I own I
2: understand what you're saying. When I look, look at it, um, first of all, we were kidnapped. Right. And it's, it's looking at that and, and seeing it for what it is, it is, it is traumatic, but it has mm-hmm. to be done. It's a part of the healing. Um, but,
1: but I think that's more- why so many families don't wanna talk.
2: Of the well, and they're not going to be healed either.
1: Right. But I, I really think that's part of the issue. I, I was thinking about my family and, like, why are these folks so quiet about everything? Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder
2: well, if Well, because all. if you really find out what happened, you'll understand. Right. Yeah. I have a clear understanding of what happened. Uh. Uh, b- before we left the continent um, and we because we don't because we 're not dealing with this, we continue to make the same the same errors in decision making and strategic planning and under and understanding our position that the african kings the African chiefs and the african well not the African priests but the African kings and chiefs made and in, in the 1470s and the 1480s, which allowed the Portuguese to have a foothold, uh, in right. and, and the Kingdom of the Congo and the Kingdom of Benin. Mm-hmm. And when they dis when they finally caught up with with the strategy of the Portuguese, it was too late. Yeah. And we, this is we, and we can collectively we are we do the same thing. We do this. We particularly in the diaspora, we do the same thing, and we do this, make the same mistakes that the that's, um, um, in the diaspora that the African kings and chiefs make, and the decision making and the strategic planning, the knowing, understanding the true agenda of uh, people outside of the tribe, not mm-hmm. circling the wagon,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Fighting with each you... other rather than pulling pulling, pulling together. Yeah. You know, being willing to help each other. On on the bus, but that's survivalist isn't. mentality too, though. We have to add that it's got a unique spin in part because the survivalist mentality that's been uh, bred into us as well. Well, we're coming, to a,
2: we're, it's, we're coming to a point now. Um, in the diaspora, and particularly in the United States, uh, uh, communities of African descent are coming very close to a fork in the road. And I, frankly speaking, I don't know how much time we're going to have uh, to resolve the issues that we need to resolve. Because we are imploding and we are hemorrhaging, and on, on top of that, um, we ha- we're being attacked externally. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the good news is there are solutions, <laughs> and and some of those solutions are in prison.
1: <laughs> exactly. I want to thank
2: you for reaching out to me. I want to thank you for inviting me to talk about this. But more importantly, I want to thank you for your interest and your caring about prison reform, because it's one of the key pieces of the puzzle to our healing.
1: I did not realize the seriousness of the situation, because I had so little interaction with the legal system in general, right? Mm -hmm. But I started getting more and more clients writing me from prison, putting Mm -hmm. books out in prison, and then got quite close to someone who's in prison and Mm -hmm. uh, started looking into his case. And I'm like, oh, so you got screwed over here, 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 and here. Like, I I read every single document. Mm Mm-hmm that was publicly accessible in his case and I'm like your attorney let you sign this <laughs> I'm like I'm not an attorney but I wouldn't have let you sign this like this this is not the what that I'm reading this and this is what it was supposed to say but it says something different and when I start and then when I start looking at it I'm like no this is calculated this is absolutely calculated and it just blew my mind to be honest with you saying it just blew mm-hmm. my mind i did not understand i did not understand that this was happening and i think so many people do not understand that this is happening because we are raised on a diet of oh, the United States has the best legal system in the world. We give attorneys to indigent people. You know, you have uh, the right to go to court and people have to bring evidence against you. But I don't think most of us know how this system actually works and how it works against people, particularly black people, black men, and that it's almost weaponized particularly if well, you have no money. Well, why you should use
2: that word
1: because that's exactly what it is. Even the attorneys exactly, are in it.
2: That's exactly what it is. Well, it goes it goes well as they are weaponized they're weaponized um as children. Our boys are weaponized um one of the ways they weaponize our, our boys um, is in the public school system. Boys, mm-hmm. generally, uh, regardless of their ethnicity, um, they don't like, they have a problem with literacy because the, the, school, the public school system curriculum is based on literacy and it's slanted toward girls. Right. Um, now, all they have to do is they can very easily change that by introducing literature that attracts the attention of boys, and, and once they do that, boys will, will get interested in reading. So there's a literacy gap uh, between um, girls and boys. Um, mm-hmm. Boys across the board underperform girls in um, reading comprehension, reading skills, writing skills, and writing comprehension skills for uh, boys of uh, African descent uh, in the African-American community and in the Hispanic and Latino community. um, When they get, um, by the time they're uh, in third, by the time they're in third grade, seven or eight years old, um, if they can't read, regardless of how high their IQ is, they are viewed as intellectually challenged. Uh, And most teachers will, and most school administrators will not do the work to find out what's going on. um, Because they could be dyslexic. They may, maybe they don't, maybe they need glasses. Maybe that's why they're not able Mm -hmm. to read. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't do that. Um, If they, they set the bar, if they don't reach that bar, okay, fine. Then they make decisions about what they're gonna do with them. Uh, so of course, everything is literacy-based in the school system. In the school system, the curriculum is literacy-based. So if you can't read, um, you're gonna have problems with math, you're gonna have problems with history, you're gonna have problems with science. So you're not gonna do well on the test. If you, you can have an IQ of 200. Uh, but if you can't read, you can't pass those tests, they're OK. You know, the, these educators and the administrators, school administrators, say, All right, you've got an intellectual problem. So they send them to the special ed. Um, so you've got seven, 10 year old boys who are bright as a button, um, but they're in special ed. Um, and there's nothing intellectually challenging about special ed, uh, and so at some point they make a decision about whether and how long are they going to put up with that. And at some point they decide they're going to drop out of school. Um, uh, at the same time, because they are um, so they're bright but they're bored, um, they get into trouble, and and so then. Um, they become a discipline problem. Well, now, I want to stop so
1: there. This is, this, I wanna is how the, this
2: is how the school wanna... to prison pipeline works.
1: Right. And I want to stop you there because I do think that I agree 100% with what you're saying, and I watched the difference with my daughters versus my son. Because you know I have three kids, two daughters that are older, and I watched the experience of One of my daughters went to this particular same school as her her brother and the way that he was handled. And Mm. I had to – I I fought for my son. I'm like, you're not going to – no, we're not doing this. Mm. Um, Because for me what happened was I wanted him to attend kindergarten, pre-K, for a second year. And so I applied to the school for a second year. The first year was a paid pre-K and I applied for him to go to this um, magnet school, I guess, or they call them theme schools. It's a theme school here. Mm-hmm. And I applied for him to go, and I applied for him to go to pre-K. When the application came back and he'd been accepted to the program, they put him in kindergarten, and they said he, because of his age. Okay. He goes to kindergarten. And a few weeks later, the teacher calls me and wants me to come in. I come in, and she says, well, you know, He can't sit still, and he can't do this, and he can't do that. I said, well, they said, we want to put him in a special class. I said, well, here's what I'm going to say to you. I put an application in for him to come in to pre-K. You all decided that you knew more about my child than I did, and you Mm -hmm. wanted him to go to kindergarten. Now, you're saying he cannot do the things that you expect him to be able to do in kindergarten. That means you get to teach him how to do these things. Mm -hmm. Because I knew where he was developmentally, and the reason he was at that point developmentally is because I thought, frankly, four years old was too long. You don't have to be sitting in a desk at four years old. You learn more through exploration. So when I was mm-hmm. finished my work, I would go get him, and we would go have little adventures. It might be as simple as mm-hmm. going to uh, Whole Foods, and we're looking, walking through the store, and you know how they would have the big things, the coffee beans, and all that. We Might be smelling coffee beans and talking about where coffee comes from. We might be going to a park and looking at leaves, and you know whatever it was that we felt like doing that day. Because I believe that small children need experiential learning, not just sitting in a desk. So since you all did not trust me as a parent to tell you where he needed to be, you now get to teach him, and he's not going to any special class. And they were taken aback. They were taken aback, because most parents, I think, don't say that to them. And I know that it's partly because we have this sense of authority, you know, like teachers are this authority. And, no, they're supposed to be collaborating and working with you, in my opinion.
2: You're right. You're supposed to work as a
1: team. And if you demand that they work as a team member with you, some of them don't like it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think I think I saved my son from being pushed in that direction by standing up for him. And this is what I encourage a lot of parents to do. Don't just entertain what
2: you, he sees. You and
1: did, you. and I commend you for that. You did, and I commend you for that. Yeah, and I'm really excited because now he's a freshman at, at Penn State. So he did, I. <laughs> he did, I. But you know, now this is
2: interesting because what I've been discovering and 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 in listening to um, incarcerated men and formerly incarcerated men, some of them have said they had to go to prison to find out how smart they were. And when I listen to, to them um, talk about um, school, um, they say things like the, the teacher said that they were too dumb. Um, some of them have reading problems. Um, the reason why a lot of, 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 uh, of men, and, uh, and particularly uh, Hispanic, Latino, African American men, are incarcerated is because of what happened in school or what didn't happen in school.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I have been told, I have been told that um, the uh, authorities and officials who are responsible for deciding how many prisons are going to be built, um, what they do, they look at the reading scores uh, and test scores and grades of seven and eight-year-olds, particularly uh, in the African American community and the Hispanic and Latino community, and that's how they base, that's how decide, that's how they decide on the number of prisons that they're going to build. So I have I've heard is,
1: that as well. So where yeah. do where do parents the, I want, to, I want to go down this rabbit hole just a little bit from a parent's perspective. What do parents need to do? What do parents need to do? oh Recognizing that all, a lot of them are working two and three jobs to try and live indoors, keep their kids living indoors, right? Mhm. What do parents need to do to help counteract this? Well, I will go
2: back to the way that um, um, my family handled my situation, um, first, they first, the first thing you do is you, you don't rely on the, on the school system to educate your child. Mm-hmm. That's number one, that's your responsibility. That's your child. You are, that is a soul that has been entrusted to you and you are grooming that soul to become a, a, a part of the generation of future leaders. So that means you have to educate them. Um, so you have to, and you did a great job of that. For instance, what you talked about with your son, you took him out and you uh, introduced him to the outside world. Um, you, you, um, parents have to start um, reading to their children. Um, they have to make sure that their child uh, knows the alphabet uh, and uh, their uh, numbers. For me, I think when I got to be around three, um, I, I can remember at least a year or two before I started kindergarten, um, my family prepared lessons for me. Um, and um, my mother, um, had me make sure that I could re, uh, read, that I could out the alphabet, um, that I could write. This is before I went into kindergarten. Before I went into kindergarten, I could write my name. Um, I could write the alphabet from A to Z. I could write numbers. And it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, um, after I had breakfast in the morning, um, for between one to two hours, that's what I did. And then after that, I could go play. Um, when I went to to grandmom's to stay, or with my aunts and my cousins, my mother packed my lessons with me. And when I would go over to my grandmother's, my grandmother would say, um, oh, your mother, um, has some lessons, she packed lessons in here for you to do. And so she says, so she says, after breakfast, you're going to have to do that, and then you can go and play with your cousins. Same thing with my aunt. If, if, the, if the parents aren't equipped to do that, then it's up to grandmother, grandfather, aunt, mm-hmm. uncle, cousin. You, I, I had a support system. I was pushed. Right. Uh, of course, so the that, was that was the time. Oh, I'm sorry?
1: That's what I was about to get to, uh, what you're about to say, I think, because I remember when I was little, before going to any kind of daycare-type place or preschool-type place, I would go to my great-grandmother's house, or I'd go to mm. my grandmother's house. But these days... Women are having their babies, and six weeks later, their children are in a daycare center because they have to be back at their day job. And people don't necessarily live in the same neighborhood or close to uh, relatives anymore. They may be across the country from them. So well, I want to play advocate for the parents. We have the Internet
2: now. We, we have the Internet now. We have Zoom now.
1: So you send you your baby you you child way. to send your child to daycare and you work a full day and you come home and you get dinner on the table and you're about to collapse from exhaustion. What are some little things that parents can do? some little small practical things that parents can do before they i I remember the schedule. I've got grown kids now, but I remember that schedule and especially if you have more than one child, it gets very difficult. What are two or three things that parents could do that are proactive that they could do in a short period of time that may not um, wear them out more than they're already worn out by the end of the day? (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm probably going to get into trouble
2: for (laughs) this. But I have to – well – you have to start planning for your child's education when your when that child is in the womb okay um maybe for situations like that um maybe the answer is um um mentoring um, uh, but i got we have to we have to find a way to take responsibility
1: mhm.
2: My mother was tired too. My mother used to get up, um, I used to get up in the, I don't know when she slept. (laughs) She would get up in the morning, I don't before six o'clock. And she would get herself ready, she would get me ready for school. Um, She would come home. And um she would relax a little bit for about fifteen or twenty minutes. So for fifteen or twenty minutes I you know, I would give her space and knew not to bother her and just let her relax. And she had mm-hmm. to check my homework. I can't tell you how many times she made me do my homework over. <laughs> That's particularly my English homework. And she was tired. Mm-hmm. And what what we would do, um we would use dinner time, that uh, we would sit around the table and use dinner time as time um, to, to relax and talk about our day. And everybody would go around the table and talk about their, you know, you know, what happened today. And then I would get to talk about what happened at school, what did I learn at school, if I had, was having problems at school, what, and, and we would do it that way. And then after we had dinner, um, we would would get up and um, while we were washing the dishes or when I was small, I would dry the dishes. And so while I was drying the dishes, I would be talking about school and homework and that sort of thing. Um, And then um, by the time I had dinner, after dinner, um, there was time to look at the homework um if and if there were problems uh with the homework, if I wasn't understanding something, um, I would get help with that. And then um I was told the weekend is coming up. So I'm gonna you need I need to spend more time with you to explain this to you because what you are doing this wrong. And I need to and I see that you don't understand what's what's going on. So um um i'm going to sit down with you if um my mother and i was raised uh, by my mother's uh brother um her eldest brother um mm-hmm. if between the two of them if it was a subject matter that they weren't that clear about there was somebody that they could go to um either a family member or or friends uh, and they would get them involved in it uh, and to come in and give me pointers and all. But you have to be proactive. Everybody mm-hmm. in my household works. I was the original latchkey child for a while. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, I th- when I think I was about, from, from nine on, I was the latchkey child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, I, I don't know how we're going to do this now because, as you said, everything is a little different. But this is what information technology is for. We have to find a way to use um, uh, uh, Zoom uh, and and Twitter and Facebook uh, to augment the education that our children are getting and to guide our children through this maze because it's a maze. Because if we don't, we're going to pay a terrible price, and we're paying that price now, every day. That is, that is, uh, uh, that's why uh, uh, there's 2.2 million souls uh, in prison in the United States. Uh, that's why we've got gun violence. That's why we have children that are out of control. Uh, That is why we have poverty, Uh, and on and on and on and on and on. I have to tell you, considering the fact that our ancestors were purposely denied an education, were purposely denied the the opportunity to read, if you were an enslaved African and you got caught reading, um, you were punished brutally, brutally. So we've got to find a way if if we if if you live in a neighborhood and you see that um, there are a group of mothers, single mothers um, who are tired, who are working um, two jobs, and by the time they get home they're exhausted, then somebody in that community has to pull that mother aside and say, um, "How are you doing today, Miss Jones? Um, I see you're really tired, and you know." Oh uh, Bobby's a really bright young boy. How's he doing in school? We don't have those conversations anymore. We need to start having those conversations.
1: Oh, um, well, and that's and, tricky. And, and that's tricky, you hell. know that. But you mm-hmm. know that's tricky. You know that's tricky now. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back against that a little bit because that's tricky in that um you don't know if somebody's trying to try to get at uh, your kids. Exactly. You don't know if you know what I mean? People people yeah. don't know each other. It's not, like, it's not like when I was growing up, everybody knew everybody on the block. You know what I mean? And, they, you know, we knew Ms. Brown was always looking out her window. She saw everything from her bathroom window. I don't know how it was possible. This woman was always. Exactly. Every, she saw everything. We knew, you know, Ms. Cook would see if you did, you know, she was a fanatic about her yard. We knew that, you know, these kinds of things. So... Um, Honestly, if somebody came and approached me like that, I'd be like, Who are you, you weirdo? Why are you trying to get my child with you? I would wonder. I couldn't, you know what I mean? I would wonder. Well, it's not that. No, no, no.
2: You don't do it that way. What you do is ask the parent what she needs to help her child. Um, For instance, um, uh, does she need reading material? For instance, if if the child is having problems with the, um, let's say they can't do the, they don't know how to multiply, then what you can do, put together a multiplication table one through twelve. That's what my uncle did for me, and an addition table uh, one through twelve. That's what he did for me to introduce me to math and i and i I used that as a matter of fact, I memorized it because he used to say to me, "You have to learn how to commit things to memory, and so he says, "I'm making these choices up for you he says I, and I, I want you to study them." And he said, "You should know these uh you should know your 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 um, your addition tables and your mathematics tables that's what he used to call them back then so well." That if I wake you up at two o'clock in the morning out of a dead sleep and ask you to recite them, you can recite them. No, you don't. First of all, you don't. I get, I get that. You don't deal with the child. You deal with you. You deal with the mother, mm-hmm. and find out
1: what that mother needs. Well, I want to pull back from this a little bit because what I really wanted to talk with you about today, Mm -hmm. was what's going on today, right this minute, in the prisons. COVID-19. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. You sent me a great article, you know, some updates the other day. And I don't think people really understand how dangerous the prison system is from a health perspective right now. Well, I can give you a glaring example.
2: Can I read an excerpt? Um, Yes, ma'am. This week, week I got an email um, from a gentleman who's serving life without parole. Um, He is um, uh, a member of an Inside Out, a reentry, criminal justice reform, and social reform uh, think tank. Um, um, So here it is. Hope you're doing well and keeping in good spirits. I'm okay. Not sure if you heard, but the prison is back on lockdown. There was a spike in COVID-19. It was disclosed on Wednesday, September 30th, and the decision to lock down the institution was made on Thursday, October 1. So we're back to where we were in March 2020 when we were initially quarantined due to the pandemic. We get 15 minutes out of the cell for shower and kiosk. The kiosk is where they go to uh, see if they have emails and to respond to emails. 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So far, no recreation, no programs, no law library, no religious services, no school, no telephone, no free cable or free in-house TV for updates on what the administration is is doing to eradicate or eliminate the virus from this institution. All medical situations are being administered through the door wicket. There's a, he refers to it as a wicket. There's a little opening in the door. Um, the mm-hmm. cell doors are locked, and um, the, um, there's an opening in the door, in, in the um, near the door knob. And so that's
1: how they get their food. So- It's like a slot, this, right? Like a mail slot almost. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So through
2: this little slot, they, they um, uh, convey needle sticks, tuberculosis sticks, diabetes sticks, temper, temperature reading. The same thing they place our food on. No cleaning supplies are being handed out. The temperature checks twice a day are inadequate because you don't have to have a fever to have the virus. The showers are filthy. All kinds of trash and flies in the shower. No one is cleaning them before each group is let out for a shower. We have guards and staff walking around without a mask and saying, they haven 't had taste or smell in weeks, so just as we thought things were getting better, here we are deja vu i 'll let you know if anything changes. Have to get this out it 's my time to come out of the cell. keep safe, blessings and peace
1: see that goes to what I was saying before um, several weeks ago because you know I have another um podcast, I do a live stream on Saturdays with Julia Black and we talk about all things COVID and we have talked about the system, the prison system. Um, You basically had a captive audience. They could not go anywhere. They weren't going anywhere. They were in prison. So the only way that those cases could get in was through guards and other workers and we. I, I know through direct reports from a prison in Arizona that at one point those guards were being told they couldn't wear masks because it, quote unquote, might scare the, the in-prison population. And I'm like, so it's, it's scarier for them to see you in a mask than to think, oh, you might be carrying the COVID? I mean I don't even understand the logic but that's the kind of things that the guards were saying we've been told we can't wear masks that went on for weeks and and do you know why
2: see this is why uh the reason why this goes on is because there's no outside pressure there has mm-hmm. to be outside pressure there
1: has oh, to and be outside pressure has to be outside But it has to be organized because if one person is calling and saying what's going on with my family member or my, you know, child, my husband, my whatever, then that's not enough. That one person is going to get blown off. It has to be organized where lots of people are applying that pressure, right? That's the other piece of this
2: well we've been trying to get black lives matters on board with this but it hasn't been unsuccessful It hasn't been successful
1: i think it's it's challenging i was because i was given a direct order
2: well i was given it i don't i was given, given a direct request uh from in, from the inside to contact them and to deliver a message which i delivered uh, because there's on the inside just saying we're black. We're, we're incarcerated, but we're black. Don't we matter? And right. I went to I went to the top. I'm not going to name names, um, but the four individuals at the top. Uh, I I went to them and presented and presented the message. I also went to the um, person that has the Philadelphia chapter. Not a word. Um, I did get a oh yeah, I'll get back to you. But that was it. Yeah.
1: Well this and one, I have, this is and where I have one of the challenges you, is. Their agenda does not include our people in prison. that does not their agenda does not include them. Well, then how does Black Lives Matter? That's that's exactly
2: the point. Okay. Can I, I'm not trying to be.
1: I'm not, Can I just I, say
2: I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be divisive. Can I? Right. You know, I am. I am grateful, extremely grateful that that the Black Lives Matters is agitating from the outside. I love that. But I applaud them for that. But. <laughs> but. Um, as my late mentor used to tell me, how you treat people who society deems are less than um, yeah. um, uh, speaks a lot about you.
1: Yeah.
2: How do you you can't exactly. leave anybody out. And when you consider, um, you want to know what prison is. Prison. Prison is slavery.
1: And, that's and why don't slavery and an enslavement
2: is, is part of our experience. Mm-hmm. So by not, when you don't address prison, you're not addressing that. And if you're not addressing that, how, it's impossible. How can you move forward? How can you sanely move forward? How can you efficaciously move forward? Because the ancestors demand the ancestors
1: demand closure. I'm gonna I'm I wanna I wanna dig into that a little bit because I have noticed some things because you're talking about the ancestors and I look at everything from a spiritual perspective. And one of the things that I have observed is that there is an awful lot going on around our ancestors right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the raising of these ships Mm-hmm. All of the the exploration, the divers going down there and finding the remains of people who died in that Middle Passage, and millions all of this and unrest, and all this unrest in the United States and even around the world right now, does this not, on an energetic level, does this not feel like the ancestors saying, "Oh, the time has come. Oh, it's time for a reckoning." oh, it's time to deal with this now because we have been ignored for too long. I'm interested in your view because that's how I'm seeing it. I'm like, this is, I don't believe in coincidence. I do not believe in it. Well,
2: I will tell you from my own personal experience, uh, you're right about that. Um, First of all, the ancestors uh, are alive and well. Every step that we take, um, they're right beside us. They walk beside us, they sit beside us, they're right there. Um, um, From a global perspective, um, uh, we're living in the decade of the international decade of uh, um, uh, people of African descent. which was initiated in 2015 by the uh, United Nations, and it ends on 2024. Um, At the same time, uh, 2019 uh, was the 400th anniversary of the uh, the Holocaust, our Holocaust, the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, Uh, There are things going on in the continent of Africa. Um, For instance, there's the African Continental Free Trade Agreement that was signed onto by virtually all of the nations, all of the African nations last year. They're now moving to create their own currency. At the same time, there is a battle again for Africa now, just like it was 400 and 500 years ago. Uh, uh, china india uh, uh, Europe, and the United States uh, they are once again uh, 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 looking at, at looking at the continent um, and once again uh, looking at what they can take
1: mm-hmm.
2: in terms of resources africa is, is, is has abundant resources that 's where our uranium comes from. I believe it's the Congo. The Congo has re- raw materials that go in the cell phones. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, the, that's, the, that's the world, one of the world supplies is uranium, oil, um, rubber, uh, gold, diamonds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are right. Uh, what what you feel? And what you see, you're right. At the same time, the ancestors are moving us toward one another. They're moving the, uh, the astra and the continent toward one another. Um, I discovered um, about a year and a half ago that I have family. Not all of my family line was uh, removed from the motherland. I have family, a family line that's living and breathing in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo on my maternal grandfather's side that I've never met, with one exception, my, my youngest cousin, and she reached out to me, she found me, and uh, one morning in May, I turned on my computer Checked out my emails, and I get an email with the subject line "Hello, Long Lost Relative," and saying, "I'm your cousin. Uh, um, I uh, was uh, born in uh, in Kishasha, in the in the capital city, and right and right now I am in um, in Romania. And she and I we've developed a relationship. We've exchanged family photos." Um, I've got to see um, great-great-grandparents, great-grandparents that I didn't know I had. It's our, our, we see, we don't, collectively we don't understand. Our bloodline flows from here to there. We're still connected, uh, our, our bloodline, we're connected by bloodline, um, our familiar, Familiar lines and our cultural lines uh, have been severed. So it is our responsibility now to heal. And that thing. is one of the things that I'm working on uh, um, and have been working on for a while and bringing the diaspora and the continent together. But since we're going down this route, one of the questions that I asked her was. You know, I talked to her about the, the transatlantic slave trade, and I said to her, um, did anybody talk about us? Because I am always curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she said, well, what do you mean? So I said, well, I said, did you, you ever hear stories from your, um, from your grandparents or your great-grandparents or even a baba in the village Did ever tell you um, a long, long time ago, um, there were people in the village that were taken away and never seen again. And she said, no. And so I said, well, I said, well how was our absence explained? And she said to me, it wasn't. <laughs> and, but I, I, I understand that, because see, it's just as painful for them as it is for us. Going back to what you said earlier about, mm-hmm how painful it is. Um, uh, it's painful for them too. Plus, there's some guilt in there as well. But she said, no, we didn't talk about it. Well, how do you, how do, you, how do, you do that? How do you t- so I understand why it wasn't talked about because it's painful. Because here's what happened. One day, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your cousin, maybe your husband, maybe your wife One uh, day were there, one day they were there, and the next minute they were taken away by strangers. You may have seen them being taken away and chains There was nothing you could do about it that um, the uh, souls that went into Africa and kidnapped our um Ancestors, they uh, created a, a great turmoil. Um, those villages and those cities were in upheaval. It was a horrendous time, a traumatic time. So, so I, 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 I I'm saying all that to say I understand why. Um, there was no discussion, but that had always been one of the questions that I, I, I had said to myself. If I ever get an opportunity to ask that question, I'm going to ask it. You know, um, what was said about our disappearance? Did, did anybody ever talk about us? But I, And I'm hearing from other souls who have uh, traveled to Africa uh, and have um, done research on the uh, transatlantic slave trade. Uh, that when they talk to to souls on the continent about slavery, um, they get very quiet and they're very reluctant to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. the, they have the same reluctance that
1: we have. You and I are going to have to have another interview to get into that <laughs> a little bit more. because No, and the reason is I think that there's something to that, but I have developed the impression that that absence of discussion there in particular has caused the gap to be filled with the negative impression the negative attitudes that whites in this country in particular have about african-americans in a lot of ways i know that there was a time when the civil rights movement in the United States, the black civil rights movement in the United States was an inspiration. And almost like on the continent, they looked up to us, but not recognizing that our development was very different from theirs. I think they misunderstand us now, particularly our young people. I think we misunderstand our young people. And that misunderstanding is filled with a that negative perception that white America puts forth about us, and particularly our young people now. And I think that's dangerous. And that I think we need to dig into that a little bit. Unfortunately, we're well, we're, we're short can, on can time. I, can I just say that um, mm-hmm. uh, uh,
2: the American? What really there were two things that fueled. The American Civil Rights Movement, uh, from the standpoint of getting, uh, of moving, uh, getting Caucasians to understand um, what was um, what we were going through. Uh, the first one, uh, Emmett Till, and Rosa Parks, but, uh, but, uh, uh, George Floyd. Uh, is this generation's Emmett Till? I don't know if you know the story about him, but um, yes. Emmett Hill was uh, uh, grew up in Chicago, and his mother sent him down south, and uh, no one explained to him uh, the um, the rules uh, the uh, rules of engagement, and it is alleged that he whistled at a Caucasian woman. Uh and um as a result of that, um, in the middle of the night, um, he was dragged out of out of uh out of the family home. Uh and um I, I won't go into the gory details about what happened to him. Uh but when he when his uh body was finally found, um, it was in horrendous shape and his mother uh, uh, decided to have an open casket because she wanted um, everyone to see what had been done to her child. And when that was flashed on the front page of a lot of newspapers, uh, and that got the attention of a lot of folks outside of our community, um, we, we have to understand that um, Uh, people outside of our community um, are treated differently, uh, and they go about their lives differently. Um, As a matter of fact, I had a Caucasian person remark to me uh, uh, three weeks ago that uh, she had no idea um, that um, 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 African-Americans were subjected uh, to the kind of uh, brutality uh, that uh, we witnessed with Mr. Floyd, or that they're that they're being profiled. So, you see, we live in different worlds.
1: Totally get that. Totally. Uh, not get to that. mention
2: the fact we've all been lied to. But that's oh. a whole other conversation.
1: Right, but that's what I mean. We're going to have to dig into this when we have more time. Um, I want to put people in touch with you. How do people connect with you and with the work that you're doing?
2: Okay. Well, um, they can connect with me in a number of ways. Um, uh, They can email me at uh, InSearchOfFatherhood at gmail.com. They can connect with me through uh, the uh, commutation Uh, support campaign that I'm running for uh, my client, James Muhammad Taylor, uh, who is a model prisoner who has served 49 years of a life without parole sentence, uh, who I'm working uh, with along with other uh, key community stakeholders to release him because he has key pieces of the puzzle uh, uh, to solving gun violence, uh, recidivism. In the School of Prison Pipeline, um, all they have to do is go to his website, www.jamesmohammedtaylor.com, uh, and there is a contact form. Uh,
1: I will get that and I will respond. Can you spell that jamesmohammedtaylor.com? Sure. James, J
2: is in James, A is in Apple, M is in Mary. E is in Edward, S is in Samuel, M is in Mary, U is in Unity, H is in Harambee, A is in Apple, M is in Matthew, M is in Michael, E is in Ethel, D is in Daisy, Taylor, T is in Thomas, A is in Arithmetic, Y is in Yes, L is in Liberation, O is in Only, r
1: as in uh, rebirth.com awesome diane thank you so much for being on somewhere in the middle with michelle berard thank you so much Uh, i'm sorry that i i I got a little off topic here
2: i want to thank you for inviting me i want to thank you uh for all that you're doing uh for our not just for our community but for the world you bring together uh diverse perspectives you bring together people from my diverse backgrounds you for what you're doing for your work you're bringing us together and you're also helping us to heal thank you for all that you do um i wish you much success in every endeavor that you undertake you are an absolute diamond
1: thank you you make me
0: feel special <laughs> well that's our show this week guys you can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on December 18th when my guest will be author and coach Sharon May King. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com and don't forget to tune in to julia black and me live on saturdays at 1:30 p.m pacific 4 30 p.m eastern for the shelter in place hashtag pandemic 2020 live stream at https colon slash slash rebrand.ly slash shelter in place live stream Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.